an Old Testament reading from the book of Genesis. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So, God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And now a New Testament reading from the book of Acts. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard what the Gentiles had also accepted the that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him saying, "Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them?" Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step. When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And finally, a reading from the epistle to the Galatians. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I bring you the greetings of General Secretary Neville Kalam, who is returning from a trip to Sierra Leone in West Africa, as well as the greetings and the best wishes of my colleagues at the Baptist World Alliance. The BWA, of course, is more than the offices in Falls Church. The BWA are those Baptist organizations, institutions, congregations, and individuals that identify with the mission of the BWA in promoting worship, fellowship, and unity, nurturing the passion for mission and evangelism, responding to human need, defending human rights and justice, and promoting relevant theological reflection. I wish to commend you, McLean Baptist Church, for your long-standing support of the BWA over the decades. You have been a spiritual home for some BWA employees, past and present. You have given off your resources and you have volunteered your time and effort. It is a special honor for me to be with you on this BWA day and to applaud you for giving special significance to this observance. And for this, we are grateful. And please 
I crave your indulgence in acknowledging the presence of my daughter, Joyville, who surprised me by being here with us today in worship. Christian anthropology or theological anthropology refers to the study of humanity in relation to God. Much of the understanding of Christian anthropology comes out of the two creation stories in Genesis chapters 1 to 3. Genesis declares unabashedly that humans are earthly or earthy in the literal sense of the word. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, we read in Genesis 2. This understanding was, reinfor was reinforced at the time Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden. For dust you are, and to dust you will return, we read in, Gale in, in Genesis 3. Yet we are told that God at the creation breathed divine breath into the first humans. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God formed human from dirt and then breathed into it and gave it life. And that, for me, is fascinating imagery. The question remains whether this breath by and from God represents some divine spark, some divine particle, some divine element, even if one should call it that some divine residue. The Genesis 1 account gives us an introductory insight into the creation of humans. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. The Old Testament clearly regards the creation of humans as of a higher order than other creatures. Then God said, we read, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. According to Genesis, humans were created to rule, to have dominion, or to reign over creation. Others temper such uh, interpretation and said that it is human responsibility that is referred to here and therefore man is not so much to rule as it is to manage, to care, to steward, not acting so much as ruler but as caregiver or care provider. This notion that humans are stewards or care providers emphasizes the need for accountability. We are accountable for what we do, but we are not accountable to ourselves. That accountability is towards someone else, and that someone else is God the Creator. Therefore, even if human status does not come from being of a, of a higher order in creation than other creatures, it lies in responsibility. In the same way that a CEO, while in his or her humanity, is not more important or better than any other human being. Nevertheless, that CEO has a responsibility that calls for a greater level of accountability than those whom he or she supervises. As Jesus said, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And 
to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. But there are those who insist that humans are of a higher order of creation than other creatures, and they point to Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. This higher order places humans in a special relationship with God, a relationship that other creatures do not share. Regardless, the role, whether ruling or caring, is unique to humans as compared to other creatures. No other creature has been entrusted with such responsibility or task. It is in this context that one may read the responsibility of one human toward another, or more broadly speaking, the responsibility of human communities to each other. The Bible is filled with examples of such responsibility from the Old Testament right through to the New. Christians are constantly reminded to push against the boundaries and limitations that they and others place on the inclusion of others who are different from who they are. According to Javier Alanis, the concept of imago dei, that persons are created in the image of God, is, quote, a life-affirming doctrine of the church that might help us to value and affirm the human dignity of the most marginalized among us. One could say this pushing against the boundaries and the limitations began with Abraham, who was told in the words of Genesis 12 to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This boundary-breaking push continued after the Jews escaped slavery from Egypt. Do not mistreat or oppress a, 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 foreigner, you, a foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt, they were told in Exodus 22. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt, said Exodus 23. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God, declared Leviticus 19, and so on and so forth throughout the Torah. The prophets took up a similar theme of openness and welcome. Let no foreigner who is bound, by, bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree, declares Isaiah. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow cries. Jeremiah, you are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children, you are to consider them as native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel, Ezekiel prophesied. Non-Jewish Old Testament personalities embraced and welcomed into the Jewish community included persons such as Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, all 
ancestors of Jesus. Abraham met the mysterious non-Jewish Melchizedek, king of Salem and a priest of God most high. This Melchizedek, according to some interpretations of Psalm 110, foreshadowed the priesthood of Aaron. The practice of welcoming and extending hospitality to the stranger, to the other, and to include them is a long-established Jewish tradition, even though there were examples of exclusion and discrimination in practice having to do with worship, marriage, and in other spheres. In the New Testament, we find that the disciples and the early church had to be constantly reminded of the need for welcome, hospitality, and inclusion. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was directly confronted at the need to include those who are not Jews in the fledgling Christian community. Peter was told, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. After this encounter, Peter was led of God to go to the home of the centurion, Cornelius. And when he saw the Holy Spirit manifested in the lives of Cornelius and his family, just as it did among the Jewish Christians, Peter was forced to acknowledge, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Peter had to explain himself to the leadership in Jerusalem. We read in Acts 11 that the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. After hearing Peter's testimony, the Jewish believers concluded, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Yet the same Peter was confronted by Paul when he compromised himself after so-called Judaizers visited Antioch. And we read this in Galatians 2, a remarkable confrontation. When Cephas came to Antioch, Paul wrote, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, was led astray. The Apostle Paul was the great example of early Christianity who encouraged the churches to extend welcome, hospitality, and inclusion to the stranger, to the other. He described himself a self-description, yes, as an apostle to the Gentiles. Throughout his missionary journeys, Paul would often preach to Gentile audiences after he was rebuffed. Rejected even by Jews, and the churches he founded were as much Gentile as they were Jewish. Paul had a vision of the church that not only included Jews and the Gentiles, but a, a church that embraced the weak as, it, as much as it embraced the powerful. He exhorted Philemon to receive Onesimus, who was enslaved by Philemon. Paul said to him, receive him as a dear brother. 
Philemon was asked to, quote, welcome him as you would welcome me. We are aware of the famous verse penned by Paul in Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus made it clear that welcoming the stranger, the foreigner, the other is core to his mission. Luke had Jesus taking ownership of Isaiah's prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One could say that the sin of the rich man in Jesus' parable was not his wealth, but his lack of welcome, his absence of hospitality and inclusion. Lazarus sat at the rich man's gate, very much in sight, but was refused any kind of welcome, help, or assistance, treated as a non-person. Jesus' very public conversation at the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 is a clear example of openness and welcome on Jesus' part. From a Jewish perspective, so many things were wrong here in the scene. Jesus was engaged in a very public conversation, a Jew speaking with a Samaritan, the enemy, a man talking to a woman, forbidden, touching the very vessel she touched, he shouldn't. The overall balance of Jesus' ministry included the excluded, embracing the outcast, accepting the rejected, and, and, and receiving the despised publicans and the sinners of Jewish society. In his parable of the sheep and goats, called the parable of the judgment, Jesus recommended, commended rather, those who extended welcome and hospitality. For he said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was First, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. The ministry of welcome, hospitality, and inclusion has not always been easy for Christians to fulfill, obviously. So, yes, it is hard. Just like the Jews, we go against the tenor and the tone and even the clear mandate of Scripture. Though the Jews were encouraged to welcome the stranger, too many regarded non-Jews as unclean and unredeemable. There is a theory, a theory, that part of Jesus' anger in his cleansing of the temple was that the court of Gentiles, the, the temple was divided into courts, and the most outer court was the court of Gentiles. The only place that those who were not Jews could worship but they were now excluded from worship because it was overtaken by bankers and commercial traders. Non-Jewish believers were, were literally squeezed out of the only place they could gather for worship and prayer. Christians have committed much the same sin. Congregations that refuse to include persons of other ethnicities and race. Congregations that refuse to include women as equal partners in ministry and the status. Congregations that marginalize those of a lower economic and social class or that give special place to those of a higher rank and class. 
we at the Baptist Royal Alliance, been in existence since 1905, have a duty to set an example for Baptists across the globe that welcome hospitality and inclusion are important to being Christian, that congregations and Baptist bodies should emulate Paul and Jesus, that Baptists take to heart the tenor, the tone, and the mandate of Scripture to welcome the stranger, to include the foreigner, and to care for the other. Thank God I believe, MacLean Baptist, you are there. It is our hope that Baptist congregations will remember that all are created in the image of God and that we are stewards, we are care providers of those created in God's image, that we are accountable in the fulfillment of that mandate, that part of our core mission is to include those whom others would not welcome. May God so help us so to do. Amen.